All right, let's take our Bibles this evening as we let the little lights dismiss. And turn to the book of Isaiah, please. The book of Isaiah. And as you're turning there and over there, we have to go, as you know, today. And I'm going to do my best to keep on going, okay? Uh, we needed a little extra help in our house. And no doubt it was because of me. My wife's not here to defend herself. Our little one is sick. But we needed some extra help in, in the area of cleaning. Uh, and no doubt the area is my problem. So uh, for uh, we had some extra gifts given to us this year. And so I applied some of it towards a robotic vacuum cleaner. And I don't know how many of else have tried those things. Um, but in our house, we've assigned the robotic vacuum cleaner a pronoun. And you know, in this culture, that is serious business. So our, our vacuum cleaner is a he. Our vacuum cleaner has a name. We've named him Ozzy. Don't ask why we don't have time. But we named him Ozzy. When he goes back to his charging station, we say that he's eating. We even notice that Ozzy's scared of the dark because if our power goes off, he can't tell where the charging station is. So he starts rolling around the house, wondering what to do as he's cleaning. It's great. So we know that he can panic, and we sympathize for him. One day, Ozzy got stuck underneath the couch, and and Stella, in particular, became uh, incredibly concerned about Ozzy and his well-being. She said, is Ozzy okay? She was all dramatic as three-year-old girls often are. And she watched with relief as I lifted up the couch with one hand and gently got Ozzy out of the couch with the other. And as Ozzy was going back, kind of meandering back to his charging station, it was the cutest. She just looked at Ozzy like, I don't know. She just looked at him so compassionately said, Ozzy's so cute. So cute. I've never gotten that kind of compassion from my three-year-old. But Ozzy gets compassion in our house. We've really made him a part of the family. He talks to us, namely he says he's cleaning, and that he's run out of batteries and he has to return to the charging station. But nonetheless, he talks to us. It would be odd, wouldn't it, if you came over to our house and we had an extra place setting and, and you said, oh, well, you know, maybe Pastor Stephen, is, he is a pastor, maybe they have a place setting for Jesus or, 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 or something. And, and we said, no. Um, I, and I got my phone out and I started doing some things and kind of you hear this rumbling from the hallway next to the kitchen and in comes this little robot and we have a place setting for him. And then I realized as a host that I forgot to to have an extra place setting, an extra, extra place setting, because we have you over. And so then I tell Stella to get out of her chair and to wait to eat until Ozzy's done. You would look at me, and not only would you think that that's incredibly weird, but you'd probably call child services. <laughs> well, my friends, it's a silly little illustration, but I think it does illustrate a little bit of Isaiah's point and what he's trying to get us to understand as we look at the book of Isaiah. And the point simply is this. It is completely asinine. It is completely stupid. It is completely illogical 
it is completely tragic to devalue the kind of relationship that we have with our God. And yet Judah, in particular here in Isaiah, did just that. It is a remarkable thing, as we will see in a little bit, to see that that Isaiah was trying to get the message across that God has incomparable worth. His value cannot be assessed. It cannot be valued by mere human terms. And yet, the people of God, and everyone else for that matter, devalued God by valuing other things. And we will see that God's grace is magnified when we acknowledge the holiness of God. It's magnified when we acknowledge the holiness of God. And so Isaiah's definition of holiness, as as we kind of embark here, is really quite uh, complete. It's quite, quite comprehensive. And so to put it in a few words is really hard, to be honest with you, let alone in a few minutes. But this statement, I think, will help. God's holiness, nothing can compare to who God is. God is not common to start in the negative. He is not common to flip it around the other way. He is the most valuable thing. He is altogether different, altogether unique, altogether great. And he is our God. And the problem that Isaiah seeks to address and that we need to address for ourselves tonight as we look at the first treatment of of who God is, is that too often we treat God commonplace. It's just like me valuing a hunk of plastic that rolls around and says programmable phrases to me. It's insane to think that I would value that over a host or over, uh, over someone I'm hosting or over my daughter, for that matter. It's even laughable that we assign him pronouns and names and, and have compassion on him. But how much more extreme is the injustice when we look at God and we treat him as common, devalued, and ultimately dethroned? So in Isaiah chapter 1, we see that Isaiah has a a pretty typical uh, prophetic message. The message of God's justice, people's sin, and the judgment that is earned, and the grace that is given. Isaiah says, listen, O heavens, and hear, O earth, for the Lord speaks, sons of Sons I have reared and brought up, but they have revolted against me. God uh, brings in through Isaiah this very special relationship that God has uh, bestowed on his people, Israel. And here specifically Judah in the book of Isaiah. And he treats them as sons and he has reared them up. And, And think about the Abrahamic call and all that went into that and all that he did for them through through the Exodus and and continues to do through the conquering of the land. And what did they do? They revolted or they broke, to use covenantal terms, because I think this refers really to the covenantal relationship that God has with his people. They were disloyal to him. And why? 
Isaiah brings up the question, why are they disloyal? Why would this happen? Well, my friends, it is because they did not understand the value of God. The value of God. God's intrinsic worth. His nothing can be comparedness. That he is holy. So why did they value other things more than God? And, and we're really just diving into Isaiah here, but I want us to really understand a few concepts before we can understand fully the answer of why did they replace God? Why did they have this propensity to do that? We, we have to understand a little bit about Isaiah and about the author, about the, the context in which the author and the, the book was written. There was a great deal of pressure from other nations, as you know, in, in Israel's and Judah's history, uh, namely in the beginning of Isaiah, the Assyrians. Isaiah's ministry spanned several kings, as Isaiah chapter 1 has us, uh, records for us. And turn now to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, where we see that in the year of King Uzziah's death, the first verse, that certainly gives us a timeline, but it also gives us a context. A context. Who is Uzziah? Who is Uzziah? Well, Uzziah was a, a valuable king. He, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, Chronicles and Kings tells us. He was moral. He wasn't perfect, but he was moral, and he was good. He also was prosperous, Chronicles tells us as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. And so that was true of, of most kings and, and of, of Israel and Judah in particular. But also understanding the international scene and the pressures that were going on here in Judah and Israel. He was militarily strong. He had military strength. Second Chronicles says for us, Moreover, Uzziah prepared for all the armies, shields, spears, helmets, body armor, bows, slings, stones. In Jerusalem, he made engines of war invented by skillful men. So, so they had, uh, they had a, a whole R&D department of warfare. They had towers, corners for the purpose of shooting arrows and great stones. Hence his fame spread afar, for he was marvelously helped until he was strong. In other words, until his reputation went before him. Until, until, uh, until his name was uttered and, and nations said, no, we're not going to even make him upset. He was militarily strong and then he was militarily victorious. Chronicles, again, tells us God helped him against the Philistines. <laughs> I mean, put Israel's and Judah's history right into that. One of their fiercest, fiercest foes. He conquered. He was victorious. The Ammonites also gave tribute to Uzziah and his fame, extending to the border of even Egypt. That great power. For he became very strong. So, his, so Uzziah was, in a word, a safe choice for a king. He brought about safety. He brought about what everyone would hope for in a military leader, in a national leader. And yet Isaiah here in chapter 6 wants us to understand that it is in this context, in Uzziah's death, that he is visited by the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty, exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. 
As a nation, it was altogether too tragic to lose a king like Uzziah. One who insulated, one whose reputation went forward and protected just by his name alone. It's hard for us to understand as Americans. But my friends, it was a terrifying prospect of uncertainty that the international scene would, would threaten now that Uzziah had come off the throne. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 5 in particular. So I read the first verse. So, so then in the second verse, in Isaiah's vision, we see the seraphim. He stood above him. That's God. And each of them having six wings. With two, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. What I always love to see about the picture of the seraphim is God had to give them an extra uh, uh, four wings so that they could cover and shield themselves from God's glory and still remain in the air with the other two. And one called out to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy. That is the superlative. In other words, God is altogether the most valuable, the most unique, the most uncommon, the most magnificent, the most set apart. Look at what they sing. The whole earth is full of his glory. What's God's glory? It's not an esoteric, mystical reality in Scripture. In fact, Psalm 19 vividly displays the glory of God through creation. Here, Isaiah attributes that the whole earth, everything, all things, attribute to the assets. We could, that could be a way that we could think of God's glory. The assets of God. And what are the limits of God's assets? Nothing. All of creation display his glory. The response is instructive for us of the seraphim. It's also instructive of us of Isaiah. Then I said, woe is me, right? Verse 5, I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts, and it's not until the coal, the burning coal, is touched to Isaiah as a figure that only pure, holy can address or come to or approach a holy God. And so, the problem that Isaiah begins to unveil for us is that, is that Judah here in particular, my friends, completely got the value of God wrong. They were too overwhelmed with the loss of Uzziah to remember that the God of Israel was their God. What in the world could they value more than God? Well, they valued their kings. They valued their kings. Look at uh, chapter 7 with me real quickly. Here we have the opposite. We have Ahaz, verse 1. Now it came about in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah. So the grandson of Uzziah. We have Ahaz. Ahaz. And we see that he had... Uh, there, was a, there was a threat here. Let's look. Let's just read on. The son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, uh, 
that reason, the king of Aram and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not conquer it. So there was an alliance formed because of Assyria. And that alliance was Israel and Syria. That alliance threatened the existence of Judah, as we see there. Look at what Look at, look at the reaction. When it was reported to the house of David, saying, the Arminians have camped in Ephraim, his heart and the hearts of his people. In other words, they got together, and they were making plans to invade uh, Ahaz's heart, and the hearts of all the people shook as the, tree, as the trees of the forest shake with the wind. And so this alliance was an incredible threat to Judah. Verse 4, and say to them, oh, excuse me, verse 3, Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out now to meet Ahaz, you and your son, Shira Jashub, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field. And so what does Ahaz do? Ahaz goes out and he's inspecting one of the most critical aspects of Jerusalem, the water supply. Trying to get the water supply into Jerusalem, trying to finish that project. And say to them, take care and be calm, have no fear, and do not faint heart, uh, do not be faint-hearted because of these two stubs, and that is of Syria and Israel, the smoldering firebrands on account of the fierce anger of reason in Aram and the son of Remaliah. So, my friends, what is the reality? Well, God says, you know what? Verse 10, because of time, I'm going to give you a sign. The Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, I'm going to give you a sign that Israel and Syria will not conquer you, that you can trust in me. But Ahaz rejects that sign, though we're thankful the Lord gives it. And we know that, that this is a wonderful sign in Isaiah chapter 7, you know, that, that, that verse 14, Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son. So, so God is giving Ahaz a sign, but, but here's the point. Ahaz rejects it, but Ahaz says in verse 12, but Ahaz says, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. He does it in a very polished way, but nonetheless, he rejects Ahaz, uh, God's sign. And why is that? Well, in 2 Kings chapter 16, we see that Ahaz has in his back pocket the very threat that Syria and Israel uh, made the, uh, the very threat that caused Syria and Israel to get together and to form alliance in the first place. And that is the Assyrians. And so in 2 Kings, Kings chapter 16, Ahaz sent messengers to uh, Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and deliver me from the hand of the king of Aram and from the hand of the king of Israel who are rising up against me. Ahaz took the silver and the gold that was found in the house of the Lord, that is the temple, and then the treasuries of the king's house and sent a present to the king of Assyria. So the king of Assyria listened to him. And the king of Assyria went up against Damascus and captured it and carried the people of it away. And in verse 10, we don't have, we're going we're to start skipping things, but in verse 10 we see that actually Ahaz did a, did a full-blown uh, re, rebuild of the altar and of the worship in the uh, in the form of the Assyrians' gods. And so the point is, Ahaz says to the God of heaven, no thank you, I don't need you, 
we are good. I value the power and the might and the prestige and the fame of the Assyrians over you. My friends, Isaiah 7 and Isaiah 6 give us a great juxtaposition of what Isaiah is trying to get us to understand. And that is that God's grace is magnified when we acknowledge the holiness of God. And specifically, in the few minutes left, all right, I want us to understand that Isaiah uses a very special name throughout the book, the Holy One of Israel. And that really displays Isaiah chapter 6, that God is holy, holy, holy. He is transcendent. He is high and lifted up, as chapter uh, 57 tells us. And he is also Emmanuel, chapter 7. God with us. He is approachable. He is the God of Israel. And so, in Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah puts it this way, For thus saith the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit. So there's the, the contrast between who God is, and yet how he is his people. He is his people's God. He is his people's God. And so, my friends... It is a, a staggering thing that Isaiah is trying to get us to understand. That God is altogether worth more than anything we can imagine, anything we can communicate. That he is so far from commonplace. He is so special and so magnificent and so set apart. And yet, he abides with you. And yet the tragedy, like all the prophets have to deliver, is the message that they have completely devalued and dethroned their God. Their God. And so, just a few highlights, a few highlights of this special, transcendent, altogether different God of the book of Isaiah. And again, these are very, very much highlights. God is the creator. That's a, that's a pretty uh, large theme, especially in the last half of the book. And he's the creator of everything, Isaiah chapter 40 tells us. He is the creator of everything. He is the creator alone. Think about that. Why does God have to say that? Isn't that kind of just obvious? If he's the, he's the creator of of, of, he had no counsel. He had no one to consult with. No one taught him. No one informed him. No one directed him. And yet, my friends, that is altogether different than our experience and, and our needs. Even here at Grace Church of Mentor, we embrace the reality that we need counsel. We call it personal Bible study, discipleship. We need that. We need that counsel. We need that advice. We need someone to teach us. Anybody that has an infant or had an infant at one point knows just how helpless we are. We start. 
My friends, God is altogether different. No one is his counsel. No one is his guider. No one had to teach him. He is the one who has formed us and redeemed us. And so he is creator without counsel or without assistance. And he is, he is our creator, for, for our, and we are his special creation, Isaiah chapter 43. Everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created, my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. And so you could cross-reference in your brain Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, where we are his workmanship. Colossians chapter 1, where we are created for Christ and his glory and his alone. God is sovereign. And as we'll study the book of Isaiah, that's certainly going to be a theme in how God uses Assyria. We saw that in Isaiah chapter 7. We'll see it again in Isaiah chapter 14, that he systematically demonstrates, that is, Isaiah systematically demonstrates that God is sole sovereign. No one can thwart his plans. Isaiah chapters 13 through 23 enumerate 10 nations where God demonstrates his sovereign control. Critics even want to uh, 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 divide and, and triplot, uh, tri triple divide the book of Isaiah because of the reality that God is sovereign and he has control even over the future and they can't grasp the supernatural reality of prophecy. Of Egypt in chapter 19, that he will bring to pass their government, their economy, their wisdom, in general, their confusion, just like he did in the Exodus. But yet, he's also sovereign to save and to forgive. And Isaiah, Isaiah kind of, kind of brings in this whole remnant theology where, 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 where God's mercy and grace are opened up gloriously to all who will come and all who will be saved because of God's sovereign hand. So, my friends, the book of Isaiah demonstrates that God is altogether the Holy One, but yet he is altogether the Holy One of Israel. In closing, let me just give you this illustration. Do you remember the Concorde, the supersonic jet? I believe it, it flew until about 2006 or so. And that was the big, that was the big deal. No passenger airline has, has broken uh, the sound barrier since. It took two countries that originally budgeted $70 million and ended up spending $7 billion on the project, Britain and France. It took 10 years and hundreds of engineers in a room. And at the end of the day, it was an economic failure. They didn't make money on it. It just cost them money. It also cost those who, uh, who, who went on the plane at the start of the program, a passenger ticket cost $6,000 in today's valuation. $6,000 just to get there two times faster. By the end of the project, it cost $13,000 in today's valuation. As much investment 
as much time as went into that project, we would stand back and we would say, that is pretty great. That is pretty awesome to be in front of the sonic boom. But man's greatness is never lasting long. Man's greatness is only as, as economically viable as it is. It's only as, it's only as long-lasting as, as, as man can make it work. And it is totally and incomparably and altogether different than God's greatness, than God's holiness. Isaiah wants us to understand that God is not common that he is the most valuable. And so as we study the book of Isaiah together, I want you to consider how, as I've had to consider, I treat God in commonplace ways. Perhaps our devices during a worship service cause us to treat God in commonplace ways. Perhaps the amount of of Bible reading that we do outside of a church service shows or demonstrates how we treat God in a commonplace way. Perhaps how we take meals together, how we interact or how we treat our spouse, how we testify at work or the lack thereof. Friends, tonight, God is all together the most glorious, the most valuable, and we should guard our hearts to understand and to follow his greatness. Isaiah says, To whom then will you compare me? That I should be like him, God says, says the Holy One of Israel. The incomparable worth, yet the approachability and the, the, the dwelling of the God of heaven. Father, this evening so much should have been said in the book of Isaiah. And yet the simple truth tonight is a profound one. It's one that has caused the people of Israel and Judah to lose sight and to value other things. Here, just two simple lessons of valuing a good king and valuing a, a bad king over your immense glory, your immense power. I pray that you would help us to understand where we treat you as common. Perhaps it's in our entertainment. Perhaps it's in And how we approach you at the Lord's table. We approach you at worship and even singing together and edifying each other. How we approach you through our relationships with other believers or through those who need the Lord Jesus Christ. At any rate, tonight I pray that you would continue, you start to prick our hearts, that you are altogether different and altogether glorious. One day we will see you for who you are. As Isaiah saw in Isaiah chapter 6, as the seraphim sing, Holy, holy, holy.
Jesus' name we pray. Amen.